Welcome to the EVM MyVex podcast, a podcast show about decentralized Ethereum Web3 ecosystem, brought to you by the mainnet DAO community. We are thrilled to have you with us. However, absolutely none of the following is financial advice. Note that there is an audience discussion thread in the EVM podcast episode 2 channel. The purpose of this podcast is to raise awareness of the emissions associated with Ethereum and to help shine light on the brilliant folks helping us understand how to determine how much emissions are associated on the chain and with your address. Today's guests are Uli Gazendorf, the founder and CEO of CarbonRatings.com. He's written an extensive paper on calculations, and his company runs a service for other companies to understand and manage their climate impact from using crypto. Our next guest is Brendan, a member of the product team at Patch.io, where he leads crypto and estimates, Patch's API-based carbon accounting software. Before Patch, he was the founder of EarthBloom, an API to measure and remove carbon emissions from the crypto industry. He's also worked on Wall Street as a corporate banking analysis. Hey, guys. Welcome. Hey, guys. Thanks for joining How's it going? us. Uh, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. So, all right. So I'm going to say I right now, am... this is uh, this is a very unique topic. And uh, personally, myself, I've never delved into it or took a deep dive into it. So we're kind of going into this blind. So for the audience out there, just so you know, this isn't this, uh, you know, this is something that I'm going to learn just as much as you guys are uh, from listening to these two gentlemen talk. So um, we're just going to start with some basic questions. And see where we go from there. Sound good? Sounds great. All right. Um, well, could you guys introduce yourselves? Talk about how and why you started to work on calculating Ethereum's emissions. You know, what drew you to that topic, basically? Uh, cool. I, I can kick us off. Um, yeah, so I, w I was kind of burned out of working on Wall Street and was sort of kicking around startup ideas and... Um, got the climate bug pretty fast just from reading, um, you know, scientific research and other things and realized sort of how significant the problem was. Um, and kind of at the same time, there was, uh, there was, there was a bull run going on in, uh, in, in crypto markets and it was hard not to pay attention to that. And so those two interests sort of, sort of merged for me. Um, and at the time it was, uh, pretty pretty early in terms of folks researching, um, you know, the emissions of, of various uh, blockchains. I mean, Uli is is one of the pioneers there, so he'll he'll talk about that. But um, from like a commercial side, there were very few people who were building solutions to um, to kind of um, you know bring the academic literature into the commercial market to help people measure uh, their emissions, and then. Um, take action against them. So that's what led me to found my startup in the space. Cool. Cool, man. How about you, Yuli? You, what's your background? Yeah, I started um, working in blockchain in 26, uh, started working in blockchain in 2016 um, as part of my master thesis back then. And um, yeah, I got, stick, uh, got stuck within the topic. Um, uh, started as a PhD researcher at the Technical University of Munich 
where I had the pleasure and honor to meet um, Lina Klaassen and Christian Stoll, also my two co-founders of the Crypto Carbon Ratings Institute, um, where we met up and with our diverse backgrounds, so I am a computer scientist, um, and met up and uh, yeah, started to work on the carbon footprint of Bitcoin back then. And what has started is a purely academic endeavor, um, also as Brandon mentioned, mentioned uh, back in the time there was no, there were no estimates on that. We continued our work um, in that area, um, put up um, further calculations for other blockchains, for other proof-of-work blockchains. And yeah, what, what has started as a purely academic endeavor in, in 2017 has shifted to a, um, to a more industry-focused one with uh, CCRI in 2021 when Elon Musk um, announced the purchase of um, Bitcoin with Tesla. And that's so what to say it shifted a lot of um, requests um, purely from a media perspective to, uh, to a larger industry focus on the topic, which also led us to um, yeah, um, help, for example, the, to build the worldwide first carbon neutral Bitcoin ETF, um, yeah, as well as um, other work that we are doing. Okay. Wow. This is a, a little bit more in depth than I thought. So let's continue. Um, Award, do you want to go ahead and start with the... Actually, before we do that, I want to say this is pretty cool because this is the very first. I don't know if anybody else has seen a podcast that's completely run by a DAO. I haven't. Um, so I Yeah, we might be the first. I, I think we might be. You know, all I'm doing is talking into a mic. Somebody else prepared all the show notes and everything else uh, from the community. So this is pretty exciting just to see if this this can work as a podcast. Yeah, if this level of coordination and organization can uh, can take off and kind of just show show what's possible. Yeah. So, all right. With any further ado, go ahead, Award. Start with that first question. Yeah, sure thing. Um, so, Uli, can you share some of what your respective company is doing and the services that you provide? Yeah, sure. So, the Crypto Carbon Ratings Institute (CCRI) short is a um, data provider that provides sustainability metrics for um, cryptocurrencies. So we help um, uh, interested entities, um, may it be funds, may it be um, exchanges, may it be payment providers, to help them understand what their activity within the crypto space means for their sustainability um, ambitions or goals. that is not only restricted to um, people holding or transacting crypto, but it also includes cryptocurrencies itself. So, for example, we work with cryptocurrency networks to help them understand what their um, activities or what their network actually has uh, as, a, as a carbon footprint, so to say. So, for example, one, um, one customer that we're currently working with or one network that we're working with is Polygon, which is a layer two network on top of Ethereum. And this is also where we do a lot of discussions in terms of how do you allocate these emissions um, from the Ethereum network towards the um, Polygon network. And as a third part, we are um, actually um, running an API that bundles all the data for over 20 cryptocurrencies for any ERC-20 token on top of Ethereum that allows you to ask these questions. Hey, I had yesterday 10 transactions. I held 20 Ether. What does it mean for my um, for my CO2 emissions? And yeah, help them to make that transparent, um, transparent and potentially also to offset these emissions. 
So this is all about basically a company or an entity, whatever you want to call it, um, figuring out what their exact emissions are so they can get carbon offset credits. Is that is that what we're aiming at? Yeah, so we are a data provider, um, a, a sustainability metric data provider, and we do not um, provide any offsets our own. So this is something that the client has to do um, on its own, given that we, as um, coming from academia, um, for us, it's um, yeah the utmost importance that our calculations and our um, the work that we do is independent. And if we would be able to profit from any of these like offsetting um, activities, that would yeah that would um, uh, result so to say in us um, yeah, having an incentive to uh, increase the emissions above the above the um, yeah about above the correct level or the calculations. And because we would profit from that, but we don't do that, so we just just in in quotation marks a data provider. Okay, that's that's awesome. I'm sure that will help a lot of companies moving forward that want to be green and are interested in the, the cryptocurrencies. So, um, how do you guys respond to the critics that say that offsetting is just a different form of greenwashing? Uh, maybe maybe I can take that. Um... Well, the reality is, uh, I mean, the carbon market is, is is deep and super varied. So there are certainly credits that are swirling around the market that, um, you know, are, are certainly not particularly efficacious in terms of their climate impact. Um, but um, a good portion of the market is, is awesome. Um, and there's a lot of great um, research and development going on, especially at the sort of frontier end of the market to produce new methodologies for sequestering or avoiding um, greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and I think there's also a lot of work being done to increase the sort of auditability of the projects um, to understand, you know, exactly the mechanisms of action and, and all of the relevant data that a buyer would need uh, in order to make an informed choice. Um, yeah, like one of the biggest problems in the reason that you know, patch exists um, is that this sort of like transparency from a buyer perspective has not always been there. Um, and one of the things we're working really hard to do is to create this sort of like neutral infrastructure that aggregates all of the relevant information that a, a buyer of carbon credits needs in order to make an informed choice. Um, I mean, we could un unpack a lot of this, but I think that's like the, the, the broad strokes of, of what I would say to counter that that statement about greenwashing. Can you explain to me like I'm a five-year-old what greenwashing is? Uh, greenwashing is just the notion of, uh, of um, you know, taking some sort of action and suggesting that it is grander uh, from an environmental perspective than, than it actually is, right? So it would be, you know, maybe buying, uh, you know, really poor quality or double counted carbon credits, um, then doing a big marketing push, you know, if you're a company, mm. right? Doing a big marketing push to say, hey, we did this great thing. We're like super great for the, the world and the people and the environment. Um, but that may be being a little bit, um, you know, far from the truth. Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a nuanced topic, right? Because a lot of times, and back to the data quality thing, um, it, it can be difficult to ascertain whether, uh, like, sort of the efficacy of, of carbon credits, at least in the traditional market. 
Um, so, so that's the, the the tension, I think. Okay, thank you. That was good. A. Yeah. What kind of uh, what kind of factors are there that impact the emissions? Can you speak on that? Uh, are you saying uh, just like with respect to the Ethereum network or crypto in general? Yeah, yeah, exactly. To the Ethereum blockchain. Uh, sure. So, um, I mean, in the traditional uh, proof of work networks, right, you've got miners located all around the world in a distributed fashion who are um, incentivized to run uh, mining hardware in order to um, secure the tip of the network. Um, and in return, they are paid out uh, block rewards, which are denoted in native units. So in Ethereum, that's Ether, and the Bitcoin network, that's Bitcoin. Um, and running that hardware requires energy. And where there is energy use, there are generally greenhouse gas emissions, unless you're using uh, you know, perfectly renewable energy, although I'm not sure if such a thing really exists. Um, and that's the real short of it. I mean, I'll literally get into the, the, the weeds here on it, but um, a, a lot of what the calculus is is really thinking about, at least from a proof-of-work perspective, where where is energy being consumed and how much is being consumed? Yeah, yeah I'd be happy. You could... Go ahead. Happy, happy to chime in and uh, give, give a little bit of context on that. So I think when you look at the network that runs the Ethereum, uh, the, the hardware that runs the Ethereum network, um, you have to look at the the, the, life, uh, the life cycle of these um, devices. So these are mining devices. Um, in Ethereum, it's often GPUs. And you have a, a production process. You have also a process that dismantles these devices, but really the large part of the the um, the uh, the vast majority of the electricity consumption, the carbon footprint really comes from running um, these devices, as Brendan said. And it's really about, um, first of all, to understand, okay, how much network or how much hardware is actually deployed in the network um, and which hardware is, is it actually, how much, which one. And the second question is really, how do you translate these electricity consumption of these devices into carbon emissions and that's really something that depends a lot on um, where the miners are um, located also what type of energy they are using um, also it's a it's a lot of questions in terms of if a miner uses a green uh, uses green electricity does it really mean that um, it's um, it's not there is no additional emissions coming from, so to say, forcing other participants in the energy grid towards um, um, yeah, less um, green energy um, sources. So there's a lot of, lot of questions to unpack that. Um, but the, but the, the estimates for these networks, given their decentralization and that it's very hard to like get an overview, who is mining, where are they located, what energy they are using. Um, models are in place to yeah, to provide estimates on the electricity consumption and then in turn translate that electricity consumption into a carbon footprint. Well, Yuli, what's your best estimate for the total emissions for Ethereum like to date, like since its inception? Our, yeah, so our um, electricity consumption, a, it's a, a yearly electricity consumption on um, 
Ethereum, we estimated uh, to be 23.4 terawatt hours. And um, we employ a rather conservative um, uh, emission intensity factor coming out at around 14.1 megatons of CO2 for the Ethereum network. That seems like quite a bit, right? Yeah, it's not it's not nothing, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at my model and we've got 13.98, so we're very very aligned there on the numbers. Cool. Well, that was a good answer, guys. Um Do you guys have a Could standard we... deviation for that estimate? Is that the 14.1 figure? So, um as it's an estimate, there is no there is no standard deviation. But given that um, uh, the, that other estimates are out there, so for example, like Brendan just mentioned this one, or also there is Kyle McDonald who did a very detailed analysis on that, um, and he's very much aligned with uh, the electricity consumption number here. He employs a, a lower a CO2 carbon um, factor for that, but on the electricity consumption, we are very much aligned. Could could we double click maybe on the uh, on the carbon intensity factor? Because I'd love to hear Uli how you, how you all think about that. I mean, it sounds like we're probably mapping to the same place or approaching it in the same way. But we'll be curious because that's sort of an interesting problem, right? Because it requires requires you to make a guess as to what type of energy is being used, as well as where is energy being consumed. So it's an interesting one. Yeah, let's circle back. Go ahead. Yeah, um, happy to happy to share happy to share my view on that. Um, so I think the problem is really to pinpoint down the um, Ethereum mining location. So that's something that is really really difficult, and there's hardly any data available on that. So Carl McDonald is um, facilitating some methodologies where they look at the um, um, extra data that is stored within blocks to triangulate um, data on that. We facilitate a more conservative approach because we did a lot of research on um, mining locations for the Bitcoin network. And there is um, work done by the um, Cambridge University um, where they are looking into um, how the hash rate of Bitcoin network is um, distributed over the world. And what we assume and what we use in our data is to say um, given that the incentive model for any proof-of-work network, um, so to say, seeking for the cheapest energy, the um, results for the, uh, the electricity usage for the Bitcoin network should be within the ballpark um, of the Ethereum network or, or vice versa, the network of Ethereum should be within the ballpark of uh, Bitcoin. And this is why we um, use emission factors from our recently published paper um, revisiting the carbon footprint of Bitcoin, which has been published in Joule uh, in uh, March 2022. Nice. I mean, uh, yeah, I would. Uh, we take the exact same approach there, so it's good to good to know we're both aligned. And I, I just generally think that attempts to use the distribution of nodes, or as you mentioned, Kyle's approach of scraping metadata on chain, uh, pr probably a little bit understated just because you know the prevalence of vpns and, and things like that yeah so that's really a topic for for a for a whole day um, of discussion. <laughs> yeah, um it's 
it's it's you, you can you can use average world emission factors you can look at specific data points and i think having a more conservative approach is really um is really a the way to go in terms of okay we don't want to under, underestimate anything we uh, want to be fair we want to be um yeah we we want to we want to make a valid and um, fair assumption of these emission factors and in the end no one can tell for sure so there's no way to to find out in the end yeah like the exact number so it's well, been... in your... oh, good. Good, oh. i was just gonna ask uh, in your opinion how well does the hash rate track energy use especially now that gpus have gotten much more efficient you want to go first brendan or should i uh I would just say that, uh, I mean, yeah, even as the hardware gets efficient, like that, that is reflected within the hash rate, right? Um, so as we see more efficient uh, hardware come online, you would expect that hash rate could go down, assuming all else equal, though that depends on if more people are uh, mining, then that wouldn't be the case, right? But that's all I'd say on that point. No, also, um, given that you can look at a specific point in time which GPU devices are available, how efficient they are. Um, so there is plenty of data on the efficiency of hardware devices or on uh, GPUs. And with that and release dates, you are, um, you're, you're able to provide an estimate on that, yeah. Yeah, but if the question is, like, how, how does the... Uh you know, carbon footprint follow the hash rate, it, it, it certainly follows it and is fairly sensitive to that driver. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, that makes sense, I guess. Um, so can you guys enlighten us, you know, how hard is it to calculate Ethereum's emissions, both as an entire entity and those emissions associated with specific addresses? So I think we discussed a lot in terms of um, how. So so what I always it's based, yeah, tell okay. my yeah always tell my customers is, is this a three step approach in terms of we have to first find out the electricity consumption of the network. This is done via hardware efficiencies via the hash rate. Um, also in 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 some parts you could um, use the um, the Ethereum price to. Uh, to enhance your estimate on that, the second step, so to say, is the translation from the electricity consumption into the carbon footprint that's done via minor location, um, via this carbon intensity factor. And really the third step is something that I um, I find super interesting because there are competing methods out there, how you, so to say, account for the activity of an entity um, on the Ethereum network. So how much should an individual entity ac account um, ac account for if they are doing certain activities? And to continue that, um, there, the, the idea is pretty simple. So we have, we have two types of activities in the network. First of all, you could hold Ether. You could just be a regular holder um, of Ethereum, or you could actively engage in the network and execute transactions. So um, I do not differentiate between like um, sending an NFT, uh, minting, um, executing smart contracts. In the end, everything is a transaction. And um, people um, come up with a holding-based and a transaction-based um, accounting approach in terms of, hey, what's your share of holding Ether? 
So I don't know, maybe there are 100 million Ether and you're holding 1 million of it, so you are accountable for 1% of the emissions. Or there are 100 transactions today and you did one transaction, so you are also having to account for 1% uh, of the network emissions. But both methodologies do not account fully for um, for the other activities. So if I'm only looking at holdings, I'm not looking at transactions. And if I'm lo only looking at transactions, I'm not accounting for holdings. And this is something that we worked um, alongside, along, alongside with uh, South Pole and uh, with um, um, with consultation of PayPal to develop a hybrid approach that allows you to account for both activities at the same time. And the idea basically is you have to look at where the miner is incentivized from. And they are either incentivized by the block reward um, as well as by the transaction fees. And if you use these values, so to say, as a, as a share of the individual activity, you're able to say, okay, all holdings are responsible for um, the block reward and all transaction fees that are paid are, so to say, um, or all transactions that are executed are responsible for the transaction fee that the miner receives. And with this incentivization approach, you can actually quite well attribute individual activities, might it be holding, might it be transactions, to a carbon footprint. Thank you. That was a that was a fantastic answer. I think you covered everything there. Uh, a, you ready? Yeah, yeah. It seems you identified the the divide between holdings and transactions, and you're giving us the full picture. I appreciate the uh, the approach. Yeah, I'm actually taking notes right now, trying to learn some stuff. All right. Oh. So do you guys think the implementation of uh, EIP-1559 impacts the way you calculate Ethereum's emissions? So, um, Brendan. Yeah. Oh, e either or. Uh, I'm going to let Uli take this one because my answer is rather short, which is uh, uh, we did not adjust our uh, calculus much there, but we also don't employ the hybrid approach. So I'm wondering if in Uli's Uli's case, this might have had an impact on their model. Yeah, so um, within the three steps, EIP-1559 did not impact the electricity consumption, did not impact the carbon footprint, um, but it impacted the hybrid approach in terms of that, first of all, given that um, EIP-1559 leads to burn um, of the overall supply, it also reduces the, availab the available um, supply. So this is something that we account for in our API, so um, the, the available supply declines, and this is um, something that we calculate on a daily basis very precisely. As well as from an incentivization perspective, um, the as transaction fees are burned and are not paid to the miner, um, the, we employ the share of the transaction fees that are actually going towards the miner. So, so to say EIP-1559 as it reduces the transaction fee that a uh, miner receives, it also re re reduces the emission allocation for transactions. So the concerns that some some people have raised that EIP-1559 has basically broken the connection between gas fees plus energy use, you're, you don't think that's the case? 
Is that no, I don't think that's the case because it's really it's really about incentivization in terms of who is providing the incentive. The incentive is still there. It's not as large as as pre one five five nine, but it's still there and it's a, still a valid metric. And this is also why we are um, going with transaction fees and not gas consumption because gas consumption in, for example, low demand times can lead to fewer transaction fees. In, in high demand times. So we are only looking at the transaction fees. Cool. Awesome. A word? Okay. So in, in that way, it has it has impacted the way you calculate the Ethereum emissions for, from the impl- implementation of EIP 1559. On the accounting side. So the overall network emissions and the overall electricity consumption did not change, but the individual um, holding or transaction emissions they are accounted for in our model. Okay. Um, now, given those challenges, uh, what approaches has your company taken to calculate the emissions for uh, for the chain and for a specific address? Well, I think uh, this might have been already covered, essentially, but. Um... You know, each each of our companies has these models that are available via uh, an API, and so users can essentially build. Um, you know, they can run their carbon accounting and build climate positive uh, crypto products uh, via our, our infrastructure. And so, what that might look like is is providing um, transaction details or holding details to the API, and the uh, response will include uh, some sort of carbon footprint, um, and in the case of Patch, at least we, because we're also carbon marketplace, you can sort of do both, right? You can do the carbon accounting, and then uh, you can also action those emissions as well. So, you know, uh, similar to to what Uli said earlier, we've got um, you know folks like asset managers building climate positive ETFs where they will just embed our API into their uh, their infrastructure and uh, you know do exactly as as I described to sort of you know be able to advertise that their uh, Bitcoin or ether ETF is uh, climate positive because they've considered the emissions associated with in their case uh, their holdings to add a little bit more technical nuance how we are doing this as we and are currently building a way um, for our clients to input their address into our systems. And we are looking at, so to say, the um, balance of Ethereum of Ether over the times, as well as the transactions that they are issuing and use that to feed our model and to calculate the emissions. All right, so... And shout out, shout out to one awesome software, uh, that's TrueBlocks. That's an indexing software that sits on top of a full node, uh, Aragon full node, that allows you to ask these questions within reasonable time frames, and they do an awesome work. So go check them out. All right. So if we wanted to ensure that we would have like greater than 99% confidence that we would offset all the emissions associated with an address, uh, should we increase in that estimate by like 10, 25, 50%? I don't know. What are the emissions like for L2s operating on top of Ethereum, Arbitrum, Optimism, etc.? I think there's two discrete questions there. So maybe I'll take the first one, and then 
Uli takes this the second one on on L twos. Um, Sounds good. Um, so yeah, in terms of figuring out what that factor is for grossing up, I mean, there's not really a great rule of thumb. That often has to do with with budget, right? So as folks are thinking about, all right, you've done this carbon accounting work, you have a baseline estimate. Um, I mean, I know you you threw out the number ninety nine percent confidence. Like it, it's going to be difficult to 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 ever feel one hundred percent confident here, right? Because this is an estimate. But um, kind of taking a step back, like carbon accounting in general is uh, it, it's somewhat of an eighty twenty game where like. Uh, intent matters and, and being conservative matters and, and making a best effort matters. Um, and so I do think, and there's precedent for this amongst our customer base of folks um, coming to some sort of estimate and then grossing it up by, you know, a hundred percent or 50%, as you said. So uh, I think, I think that figuring out that right level has to do more with kind of economics because what you wouldn't want to do, and this is getting back in the carbon credits world, you wouldn't want to, um, you know, arbitrarily gross up your footprint by 100%, but then that eat into your budget in terms of like the quality of carbon that you can actually go procure. And then potentially you're actually not having the same climate impact as if you had just offset your baseline uh, footprint. Uh, so this is, a, there's no like, this is more of an art than a science when, when you get to that point. So um, how are the carbon credits satisfied or incurred is it like planting trees i mean can you give us a brief rundown on how we can how those are offset on the corporate yeah. scale sure um so there's really a there's a, a, a patch is a deep marketplace of from a project perspective and uh when you look at the carbon market in general there there are all sorts of what i would call methodologies um which is essentially just approaches for uh sequestering or avoiding uh, greenhouse gas emissions. So the simplest example that everyone reaches for is, you know, forestry. So within forestry, you can uh, preserve a forest, meaning prevent it from being cut down. That would be avoidance plus a little bit of removal because technically trees are always removing. Um, you could also plant trees. That would be afforestation, which would be um, a form of, of carbon removal as opposed to avoidance. Um, but getting away from forestry, there's also a lot of really interesting projects. So, um, I mean, the sexy one that people like to talk about is direct air capture, right? You go stick, stick these big fans, um, with essentially carbon filters and, uh, run a chemical process to, uh, essentially strip greenhouse gases out from the air. And then, you know, you change them usually to another state from, from a gas and store them in, in some sort of permanent place, which is often uh, below the Earth's surface, right? Like geologically store these things. Um, I think what's interesting about these more engineered approaches like DAC is uh, because y you're able to actually uh, kind of tangibly measure uh, what you've pulled out of the air, you have much higher degree of confidence in in what you're what you're buying in, in the actual act of sequestration. Whereas if you go look at, you know, forestry projects, it can be a little bit difficult to, to measure the impact there for obvious reasons. I mean, people, of course, they're using LIDAR, they're using satellites, uh, they're doing all sorts of things uh, to try to figure out how much a forest is, you know, preserving or removing uh, carbon. 
but uh, it's it's just it's it's a bit of a challenging uh, practice. Um, but of course, uh, those two things, buying a credit from a forestry project versus DAC, they're going to cost very different amounts. So a DAC credit might be a thousand dollars for one ton, and a forestry credit might be twenty. So they're orders of magnitude different, and what what the price is really reflecting is is the durability of the carbon, meaning, okay, if we go uh, uh, remove this, how long is it going to stay removed before it's remitted back into the, the biosphere? Uh, so that's a that's an important factor, as well as like additionality. Like if if we had been paid, uh, if we hadn't been paid the money for this credit, would the project have still happened? Um, and it turns out when you go down the food chain and look at lower quality projects, there, there can be some sort of additionality concerns as to whether or not that carbon would have remained where it was had there not been payment. So um, I, I could get a little long-winded here and talk about all sorts of other projects, but there's a lot of cool work being done, um, frankly, all around the world, and um, it's, it's a pretty exciting space. Well, before I let you leave, finish the second part of that question, I got one more question for you, and for the sake of time, can you just give us an estimate of like um, what that would cost for a company to build one or you know contract one of those uh, wind? What what did you refer to it as? Oh, direct air capture. Yes, yes. I am actually not familiar with with the actual cost. I mean, obviously, it's going to be you know probably ten ten million plus dollars um oh, but cer- cer- certainly millions um and i think the bigger issue there is actually on like so some of those technology uh developers are licensing their their uh, technology to developers to go develop the project so there there is a precedent for you know folks being able to spin up these these uh sites these projects but um um, it, it would be expensive, and I think those contracts are pretty hard to come by right now. Um, we, I didn't really get into like supply and demand di- dynamics, but there's certainly a carbon markets are a supply constrained market, and particularly for the high quality credits, uh, it's deeply supply constrained because you're essentially competing with, you know, some of the biggest uh, carbon buyers in the world. So you're competing with Stripe and Google and Shopify and uh, it's just difficult for the average person to, um, you know, access the same quality of credits given the, the market dynamics. Um, and this is sort of a big, you know, this is a selling point of patch essentially is that we make these kinds of credits available to, you know, average buyers who maybe don't have like a 10 or $20 million annual budget. Okay. So what would you, let's say I owned a multi-million dollar company and I wanted to go ahead and offset some carbon um, what would be like an estimated ROI or is yeah, that what, unknown? It's always hard to put numbers around it. Right. But we do get asked this all the time. I mean, I think it's easier to do ROI math when it comes to building an actual product. Right. So suppose you built a, a carbon neutral, uh, ether ETF. And then you go look at your sales data in terms of like, you know, how are customers interacting with that tranche? the carbon neutral series versus the, uh, you know, non-climate, uh, like the, the vanilla series. And so from that, you can, you can start to see, okay, it seems like we're getting, you know, you can figure out what the traction is. Uh, the analog o- away from crypto is like you can look at e-commerce, right? Um, you can A-B test. If we have carbon offsetting uh, built into our sort of checkout flow, what's, what's the impact on 
uh, card abandonment and all these other things. And as it turns out, the statistics there are, are actually pretty strong in e-com and there's uh, decent data there. So that ROI is a little bit easier to calculate. Cool, man. Thank you. That was a great answer. Yuli, you want to finish up the uh, second part of that question with the L2s? Yeah, sure. So layer two networks um, are, um, so to say, have their own infrastructure and their own um, hardware that is running there. And that's that's a separate issue. Some, If you want a full picture of a layer two, you need to look at that hardware separately. But if your um, layer one is a proof of work network, then the emissions from that associate proof of work network um, might be it might be uh, more of interest to you. And so to say what is recommended that you use the hybrid approach that I previously described to look at the transactions and the holdings that that layer two network is responsible for on the Ethereum network. And with that on a daily basis, you're able to um, allocate these emissions towards this layer two network and provide a, a fairly precise estimate on that. Awesome. Thank you. A? Yeah, now you guys have both touched on renewables. Um, so I'm going to throw up a question here from the discussion thread. Any uh, Reaver asks, uh, it seems like a lot of people believe that energy consumption is okay as long as it's coming from renewable sources, even when a lot of fossil fuels are being used by other things, right? So how does or doesn't the source of proof-of-work energy impact the calculations? And uh, is there a meaningful difference to this, or is it kind of all one big pool of energy globally? So um, from our side, I think um, it's a it's a very good question. Um, it's really hard to to tell if someone is using renewable energy or not, and if by using that renewable energy is pushing someone else into non um, so renewable energies or into fossil fuels. And um, the idea that we employ is we um, use averages over the grids, um, average grid intensities by the International Energy Agency um, that um, yeah, gives us a fair, fair bet at what these um, carbon emissions or these carbon intensities are. And um, in the end, also to, to go a little bit um, on the meta level here, is that electricity consumption itself is not the issue. It's the carbon emissions that are associated with this. And I think in terms of the, um, the, the, the network level or the network emissions of a Ethereum network uh, or any other industry, might it be a steel or a aluminum um, uh, industry that is using so much electricity or energy, it's really, it comes down to is... Um, uh, if if that is a if that is a meaningful way to spend energy and that's something that i think has to has to be answered by um the community by the society and then uh, you can have meaningful discussions about like um benefit cost calculations but um just looking at the energy it's really hard to to discuss any of that yeah one thing i would add when this whole debate was going down around it was mostly centered on Bitcoin, frankly, around Bitcoin and energy consumption and 
is that a good use of energy? Um, like when, when it got into the renewables bit, I, I found a lot of sort of advocates for um, Bitcoin citing, um, you know, uh, renewable energy being used in, in the to power mining broadly. Um, but but for me, what was always a concern is ensuring that um, said renewables were actually like net new to the grid, right? Because of course, if if there is renewable energy that's in the network, it's probably being used by someone today. And if um, you know a crypto miner comes in and, and uh, you know buys that up, maybe it's an open market, and so they uh, they pay more. So now they can say, oh, no, we're we're green, we're one hundred percent renewable. Well, if the consequence of that is that the person who was using that renewable before uh, is now you know switched to natural gas or coal, like there's not really a net benefit. Uh, to um, you know, global emissions profile, right? And so I think that's that's like a you know small point, but illustrates why uh, it's it's very tricky when when doing the um, you know the math here to figure out like how to even give credit to uh, renewable energy. Like even if we knew, which we don't uh, know, how much renewable energy is being used to, to power mining globally. There's this incremental question on top of it of like, is it all sort of net new uh, renewable build out? To add, to add a small um, piece to that, um, I think also given that renewable energies are not available 24-7 and a miner for his maximum profit needs to run his hardware 24-7, that so to say also could conflict um, with, with um, the idea that of, of purely using renewable energy. Yeah. Okay. So so it seems like uh the the best way to educate and to prevent the disconnect from from just because you're using the renewables doesn't necessarily equate uh, a car carbon neutral standpoint on your cell. Um and and just because it's coming from a renewable source doesn't mean that it there isn't a harm, right? There's always that trade-off. So to prevent that disconnect, I'd kind of equate that to charging an electric Tesla or electric vehicle. I mean, where do we get the energy to charge those batteries from? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean that's exactly right. It's like. Um really important to understand where, where where that power is coming from and and it's not always known um although i do think it's it's a step in the right direction to shift the um you know to get the uh, to use the car example to get the emissions from coming out of the, the consumer device and move them down the the food chain to be like uh you know where's like essentially to the utility provider because then it, it sort of centralizes where the problem needs to be addressed right it's uh, as opposed to it being um, kind of at the at the consumer level. Agreed. Um, it's a very difficult um, subject to actually to take a deep dive into. I can't imagine how many hours you fellows have uh, wrapped up, years maybe even, in this. Uh, it's a very complex subject because there's so many different vectors that need to be accounted for. So, um, are you guys seeing an increase in companies wanting to offset their emissions? Um, I certainly am. Uh, 
definitely in crypto, but also just broadly um, speaking, people are very focused on this right now. Um, in certain parts of the world, Europe, namely, the I think there's maybe more clarity um, in terms of uh, what I would say potential for uh, regulatory, um, you know, movement that would mandate people to do this kind of thing. And so uh, the European market is, is much more mature in terms of wanting to, um, you know, do their carbon accounting and also take steps to decarbonize or address via carbon markets unavoidable emissions. Um, but yeah, I mean, even here in North America, where I sit, uh, there's a ton of interest. Um, people are sort of waking up to the reality of, of, of climate crisis and how serious this is. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I think, still slightly a nebulous thing that people are like, eh, maybe that's going to be a problem. Um, but that is that sentiment starting to shift and businesses are realizing that, hey, this is actually potentially profitable to invest in this thing because it, it it's good for you know employees like it like employees want to work at a company that they know uh that they feel better about in terms of its environmental footprint that's one dimension of it um, then of course there's the sort of outward facing dimension of you know being able to tell your customers that this is something you value and you are focused on um so yeah i think there's a lot of a good good tailwinds that are they're driving it driving adoption broadly awesome man good to hear because this is a an issue that does need to be looked at regardless of political affiliation what have you um it's pretty damn clear (laughs) yeah Uh, absolutely so a uh yeah i've got uh another question from the public discussion thread um are there meaningful differences between L2s right now that you guys are seeing, uh, um, say, between Optimism or Arbitrum um, or any that stand out to you as uh, as something to keep an eye on or, or maybe to work away from or educate people that uh, maybe it isn't the, the route to take? Uh, let's start with you, Uli. So I don't have that broad view over current L2s and how they are how they are implementing their work. So I think, from an electricity perspective, um, all these networks use vastly less electricity. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be worrying about any one of them. And as long as um, Ethereum is also shifting to proof of stake, um, these emissions that come from layer one from the layer one network won't be an issue in the future. Okay, so yeah, just moving to the L2s in general is going to be better um, efficiency, a better electric consumption, everything away from mainnet. That's my understanding, yes. Yuli? Yeah, so, so it's... Uh, <laughs> um, so it, it's, really, it's really about... Um, uh, the, the networks itself, they don't have any issue. So uh, if you're looking at a proof-of-stake uh, layer 2 network, um, uh, purely from that proof-of-stake network, there shouldn't be any any issues with that. It's really about the base network, and I'm not sure if there are other layer 2 um, on top of any other network besides Ethereum and uh, Bitcoin. Probably they are. Um, and as long as an Ethereum proof-of-work is still employed, these layer 2 networks will face um 
emissions from that. And um, yeah, but that will change when um, Ethereum is, is uh, also switching to proof of stake. Good deal. So would you guys want to join us in an effort to offset all of Ethereum's emissions? Happy to provide the data side of it. Cool. Happy to provide the carbon side of it. Awesome. All right. Now, anybody that's listening, if you guys have any questions, now's your time. Yeah, is there anything either of you think uh, we haven't covered or anything that we should be uh, should be asking or anything that you guys find interesting that we haven't covered? One thing I would say um, with, with the effort uh, of kind of addressing the full network's emissions is uh, the one piece of data you'll need to collect is like what has been actioned to date. Um, I'm not sure that there's a good way to do that um, other than soliciting sort of, uh, you know, requests for information from from the Ethereum community. Uh, But it's worth keeping in mind. I mean, obviously, double acting upon emissions is is great from the perspective of uh, a concerned human for the climate, Um, but it may be duplicative. So it's something to to think about. um, so yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there. There may be ways to, um, you know, get the community involved to understand, you know, what's been acted upon to date. Okay. And, uh, Uli, is there anything that you think, uh, we should be asking that we haven't? Anything no, I think, I think we covered, a, we covered a broad area and, uh, certainly there are topics that could, um, uh, could be extended um, a few more hours, but I think we, we got a good overview today. Yeah, no, I, I personally want to thank both of you gentlemen for joining us today. Um, you guys are big brains, and it was a little hard to follow, but I think everybody got the gist of things. Um, you know, keep doing what you're doing, because I think that's a very, very... Oh... It's, I mean, it needs to be addressed and it's not being addressed properly. So thank you. Yeah. Agreed. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Is there anybody else that has any questions? Um, So we've got one person asking, they weren't around when the total emissions were shared earlier in the call. Um, Could they share their calculations with us? Thanks for being here and educating us. So I'll just refer to um, our website. There's also documentation on uh, how um, also the paper, all our papers are there to read. And also in the API documentation, there's a lot of information how this data is uh, calculated and collected. Carbon-ratings.com. Hey, do you want to drop that in the uh, podcast link? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so if nobody else has any questions, and Brandon and Yuli, if you guys you guys are squared away with what you had to say and you feel like you made your points, etc., educated. All good on my end. Okay. All good as well on my end. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you guys. I mean, we kept yeah, it to thanks, an hour, guys. which was our original 
you know, time slot. Um, I'm sure down the road we'd be more than happy to have you guys back on. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention was if you guys aren't following the Twitter, EVM at EVM Mavericks, go ahead and give that a follow. Keep up with us on Discord. We're going to try to do these podcasts. It's, it, like The more we learn, me and A, and any other, any other community member that wants to try to contribute, um, the more we learn, we want to try to get these things closer and closer together. You know, right now we're on like a two-week to a month time frame. Um, so that's that's part of our goal is getting this thing streamlined, and I, I hope everything sounds good on the audience's end. Um, and I, I want to yeah. thank every single person for being here. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. The more we do it, the better we'll get. Yeah, absolutely, guys. So I do I do have one last question on the thread, if you guys have a second. Go for it. Um, perhaps a controversial question, but are there any carbon offset schemes, scams in your estimation? And if so, how do we tell the difference between them? How exactly are we going to go about, you know, what are some of the red flags that uh, that we could look for to say that's a legit project that, that has the legs and, and something to avoid? Yeah. Um, it can be complicated to unpack that um, as a buyer. Um, but one of the things that's really exciting is the sort of emergence of carbon ratings. And so you can think of this as like, just like in the financial industry, um, bonds or equities, they're, they're all rated, right? So you've got S&P and Fitch and Moody's that are doing these independent ratings of, say, a corporate bond. Um, and uh, there's an analogous thing uh, cropping up in the carbon space. So we've got businesses like Carbon Plan and B0 who um, are doing this independent analysis and um, looking at all the dimensions, some of which I hinted at earlier, and, and trying to present that data um, in an unbiased fashion. Uh, and so that's data that, you know, if you use, if you go to Patches Marketplace and you poke around at some of our projects or look in our API, you know, we, we aggregate that data so that buyers can make um, informed choices. Um, the other thing I would say broadly is just like, getting comfortable with the kinds of projects that you want to work with. Um, because I think like that's, that's a good place to start in terms of figuring out like, okay, the, uh, the highest occurrence of, of, um, you know, potentially less efficacious projects might be in, you know, these types of, uh, of endeavors. Um, and so maybe you just want to avoid those, um, and keep your focus a little bit tighter. Um, so that's my best advice. But uh, for those for those who haven't read, um, you know, documentation on Carbon Plan, it's it's a great a great resource, and uh, you can you can really learn a lot super fast in terms of uh, how to think about credit quality, and they have great publicly available uh, research. All right, what was that link? Uh, it's Carbon Plan. I think it's carbonplan.org. But if you Google it, it'll come up. They've sure. got good good SEO. Yeah, we'll right. find it and drop it in the uh, the podcast channel. So people can find it. Um, all right, guys. Well, I think that was pretty good. I learned a whole lot, a lot more than I thought I was going to. Um, if there's no other questions, I say we call it here because I'm sure we all have got busy days ahead of us or busy nights. Everybody's from all over the world. So, um, Any questions?
um, negative. All right, so yeah, Brendan good. and Yuli, thank you very much for coming on and spending an hour of your busy, busy days. Um, everybody, thanks for listening. A, thank you very much for helping. And everybody that contributed to this podcast, um, we really appreciate it. Thanks again, guys. Yep. Thank you, Brendan. We'll yeah, see you guys much. later. All right. Thanks, everyone. All right. See you, everyone. Bye.